This is Echozoe Radio, episode 178 for February 2023, with Will Dobby on Every Believer's Biography. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 178 for February 2023. Will Dobby is pastor of Emmanuel Church of Knoxville, Tennessee, and author of From Everlasting to Everlasting, Every Believer's Biography. The book is a 30-day devotional broken into five acts, walking the reader through the theological aspects of salvation from eternity past to eternity future with practical application in between. For those who like video, this episode is available on Rumble, YouTube, and the Echo Zoe Locals page. It's also embedded in the episode page, which you can find at echozoe.com slash 178, and where you'll also find the show notes. Before we start, I want to mention the Christian Podcast Community. The Christian Podcast Community has a large and growing library with many excellent, biblically faithful podcasts. You can find the entire list at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And there you can subscribe to the shows that you want to hear directly, or you can subscribe to a community feed and get all of the shows in one giant feed. And with that, here's my discussion with Will. Will Dobby, it's such a pleasure to have you on Echo Zoe Radio. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, we're just having a little bit of technical difficulty, so thanks for putting up with that. Um, It's great to have you. We were just talking a little bit, kind of got off to a short start, and technical difficulty, so we're trying again, but um, we're, uh, I, I joked before, I think I'll repeat it, but the, the British accent's kind of taken over the show after having Kofi on last month. You both yeah. hail from London? I'm a Brit. I'm outed. Well done. I'm English. Uh, I was born overseas in Germany. My dad was in the army, and then I grew up overseas as a kid a little bit, and then when I finished college, I joined the British Army myself. And so I then spent a few years overseas mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, then came back and settled down in London. I worked for church, um, went to seminary for three years, assistant pastor up in the north of England for, a couple, uh, for three years, married my wife. We adopted a couple of kids, then back to London to plant another church of my own. And we just moved here. Um, really because my wife is American, 18 months ago. So here we are, East Tennessee. And uh, is she originally from Tennessee? Well, she's from the South. Uh, Similar story to me. She was born overseas in Japan. Her parents were missionaries with OMF. And she Mm -hmm. grew up in Japan until she was uh, 12 or 13. And then uh, after college, spent a lot of time back and forth between the U.S. and the U.K. just doing quite a few degrees and that's how we met okay um so yeah we're both from all over the place and then uh 
you had you had mentioned you must have been an officer in the British military. I was. I was in the infantry. I was mm-hmm. a platoon commander in the Highlanders, which is a Scottish infantry regiment. And we were based for a few years in Germany, but I, I also got to spend time in in uh, Africa, uh, Norway, France, um, Cyprus, Canada, like all over the place. The highlight was probably Iraq, 2005, six, the mm-hmm. second Iraq war. Wow. Yeah. Over there with our, our guys then too, probably. I was, yeah. Worked with them. And uh, that was quite an intense time. It'll, it'll be with me for the rest of my life, but it was a real privilege. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about your book tonight, uh, from everlasting to everlasting. Yeah, it's uh, your your uh, subtitle is every believer's uh, biography. So, what was the inspiration, and what kind of led you to write the book? Hmm. Well, having been a, a pastor for, I haven't counted it up. I, I would guess maybe around fifteen years. Uh, I just found the truths of this book so powerful and useful for you know shepherding my people um and so when covid happened and we had a lockdown it was just a great opportunity to get a lot of them down on paper um and try and try and just get them out there more widely so that other people can be helped and blessed by them in the way that i had in my ministry what was that like in tennessee you know every state was a little different with the lockdown Mm. and stuff how did tennessee well well, this book was written in london Oh, okay. uh, we we moved to Tennessee eighteen months ago. I guess the um, it came out while I was here, but it was written. I started writing it maybe a, a good year before that. Okay, yeah, um, and obviously came London out soon was, after I arrived. London was obviously a, a bit more locked down than Tennessee. Yeah, the lockdowns time. were stringent, and uh, we had a couple of years of them. And so the book was written in two minute increments <laughs> in our <laughs> tiny house which were interrupted by me breaking up fights between small boys, <laughs> my wife and stuff, and trying to find some peace in some corner of some be- bedroom where they hadn't found me yet, um, which, yeah, was... Your, was son, your family sounds like mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my kids can, can kind of sense when I have to be uh, out of the room for a few minutes, you know, if I... It, doing uh nature calls or whatever and that's when the fight started <laughs> i know it's like this sixth sense it's yeah. incredible how old are your kids they are seven about to turn eight and 12 oh, okay. two boys yeah, yeah. that's uh formative feels age. like you've got about eight boys it's actually only two <laughs> i have four uh three three boys and a little girl and wow. um my youngest and your youngest are about the same age and then my okay. second is 12 about to be 13 mm. But yeah, formative years. Yeah, for sure. So, well, let's get into the book. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's really uh, presented as a almost like a, um, sorry, a devotional, like a month long devotional, yeah. 30, 30 yeah. chapters, thirty little snippets. But it's it's almost all really a a primer to reformed theology too. I, I think that's fair. It's designed to really show off what a gloriously big God we have. And the fact it's in 31-day entries, I hope reflects the truth that these theological truths are really to be lived. Um, They are practical, and they are meant to be accessible to all and any, you know, Christians of all and any levels of education and intelligence. I, I don't think God gives us these profound truths just for the intellectual fun of theologians in ivory towers to play with and push around and 
you know, these are to be lived. Yeah. Um, so it's hopefully it meant to be a practical book. Yeah. Um, it's, it's broken down into uh, five parts. Five yeah. Parts. Five acts. Five parts. Yep. Five acts. Yep. Uh, what, what, what are the main umbrella topics? Mm. There's those five acts. Well, the, the theme is life. He's a God of life and you know, we're living for him. He has eternal life for us. He brought us to life from death. So, um, act one is called life plans. And that's the, the plans that he had for us before we started physically living. Um, and that covers things like the eternal covenant between the members of the Trinity and his foreknowledge, uh, before the foundation of the world, he loves and knows us. And then election, he mm -hmm. chose us. Um, then, if Act 1 is life plans, Act 2 is life begins. And that starts with providence. God chose, uh, as Paul, I think, says to the you know, people at the Areopagus in Act 17, mm -hmm. the time and place that every one of us would spend our time on earth, and not by accident, and he ordered every event in our lives as well. Um, and, and life begins also means spiritual life. So book talks about physical conception and, and this incredible miracle of developing in the womb and then birth, but also uh, God's external call when we hear the witness of the gospel by the evangelism of others and the internal call when the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts of the truth and regeneration when we're made alive spiritually so that we're able to repent and believe and then conversions when we do repent and believe. So we've got life, um, life plans, second life begins. The third act is life from the cross, and that's a focus on the atonement. And that's really at the heart, I believe, of the Christian faith and of the Christian yeah, life. Um, act four is the Christian life. Uh, so that is, you know, what it means to then live in the light of the cross. Mm -hmm. um, and that is things like... Uh, the word, prayer, church, sanctification, spiritual disciplines, ministry, suffering, perseverance, and probably the most important element of the Christian life, in my mind, as a pastor, and the final chapter under this heading in the book is uh, death. I, you know, I believe I'm training my people to die well, and um, yeah, that I mean that takes That's a, an interesting a life way plan. to put that. Um, and then you know, I've 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 seen death close at the hand mm -hmm. uh, in the military and as a pastor, yeah. you know, people's bedsides. And, you know, when you're young, you assume you're basically immortal. It'll never happen to you. And it's amazing how I'm, I'm in my forties now, early forties. As you get older, you just become more and more conscious of your mortality. And, well, and it's sort I, of, I never served in the military or in mm -hmm. any capacity at all, but I, I assume that that would would demonstrate to you your mortality better than just about anything else could. It does pretty well. And if you're a believer, hopefully it gives you an urgency right. um, to living. You, you yeah. want to make the most of this one short life yeah. and not yeah. in the way that an unbeliever might as in eat, drink for tomorrow we die. But um, in the way that, that we have one brief opportunity uh, to make the most of this amazing gift God has given us. Um, one of the phrases that we sometimes use in my church is that our time is short, our enemy is active, our calling is divine. We have all eternity in which to celebrate the victories and one short hour before sunset in which to win them. And we're in that hour now and sunset is coming. And for us, it is no longer this terrifying trapdoor to judgment. 
Um, for us, it's a gateway to glory. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that will be when the opportunities end. Um, and so I, I want to keep my foot to the floor and then, and then exit well, leave well, you know? Yeah. So that's the Christian life. And then the final act is the life to come. Yeah. And that looks forward to things like uh, heaven, the believer's resurrection, the believer's judgment, quite an interesting truth, bit of a Cinderella truth. I think they often hear that talked about, um, but it's very powerful. And then ultimately the new creation, which I personally cannot wait for. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm not theologically trained, so please correct me if I am I'm wrong here, but um, Acts 1 and 2 together, almost like an ordo salutis? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the whole thing um, is built around the spine of the ordo salutis, mm-hmm. all the way from Acts 1 to Acts 5. Um, the ordo salutis was it's a Latin phrase. It just means the order of salvation. Yep. And I think Lutheran theologians came up with it in the 1700s. Okay. But it's always been clearly on display in God's word. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the spine, I mean, it's been framed in a number of different ways. But the spine of the um, order salutis comes down basically to election, historically speaking, when it's classic, you know, classically orthodox theologians would, would define it as being election, calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. And so I've just inserted a few other steps on the pathway in yeah. between those, those nine, that spine of nine key steps, um, just to walk believers from eternity past through this life and into eternity future. Yeah, that's, that's well put. And well, I was just thinking uh, Act 4 is almost more of yeah. a, um, an application. You know? Yeah, that's fair. That's and, especially practical because that's where we are now. Right. If if the in, contents page was a map, Act 4 would have the big arrow saying, you are here. <laughs> yep. Yep. But uh, in a very accessible way, you walk through those concepts of um, like the logical steps to salvation from the... Uh, as chapter one says, the eternal covenant. Um, well, cha- sorry, day one is the order of salvation, and then and then you get into act one. Um, yeah. But that eternal covenant and the foreknowledge and election and whatnot is. Uh, it, it, I I appreciated how not being theologically trained. I'm aware of this because I've been a believer for 24 years, mm. but um, that it in a very accessible way it brings those uh, theological concepts in for people to understand. That that makes me so happy as an author. I don't want to come across as clever um, at the cost of being uh, incomprehensible. Oh, like, I, truth- I found it very accessible. I mean, this is yeah. something I would feel comfortable giving to a new believer and, um, you know, to to mentor and to shepherd somebody, to disciple somebody, you know, start with, this would be a mm. great start for somebody to, to see what, um, especially... Because I think the tendency in us is to to come into almost an Arminian way of thinking, to mm-hmm. believe that we had something to do with our salvation beyond the sin that made it necessary. But um, you know, it took me a while to really understand those concepts. It was probably five or six years before mm-hmm. I grasped the concept that no, I, I the only thing I offered in my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same, and you know we do have responsibility. That's not the saying. That's not the same as saying, 
we have freedom that somehow oxymoronically exists outside of God's sovereignty. Right. Um, and, you know, there, there are, um, you know, difficult truths and, and paradoxes and antinomies in this area, but nonetheless, you're right. God is sovereign over salvation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I just, like I said, I appreciated how accessible that is that, um, you've got a good, I like your style. I like your writing style. It, it, it's um, very pastoral and, and accessible. Thank so, you. I appreciate that. Um, do, you, do you have like some favorite days that we could talk about or favorite aspects of this that you like to? Well, I get pretty pumped about the new creation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can understand that. Um, I mean, I... Yeah, my 12-year-old went through a phase of saying, I wish it was the new creation. And that's how we should be, you know, I, homesick, right, yeah. for our true home. Um, and I, in the chapter, if you want, I can, I can just yeah, sum up please. the bare bones of that, which is that um, I'm in seven Ps. I came up with uh, the supreme characteristic of the new creation will be the presence of God. Um, he is the source of all goodness and joy and beauty and perfection and he himself will be the crowning characteristic of the new creation um better than all the other good things and the source of all the other good things mm-hmm. and of course we have his presence now um he's omnipresent and we have his spirit but scripture does emphasize his presence in a new and special even more intimate way um, when it describes the new creation, then there will be, because of him, secondly, perfect joy and beauty. And uh, Jonathan Edwards said that God's love is like a, an ocean without shore or bottom. Well, that's the case of all of God's attributes, not just his love, but his wisdom and his power and his, uh, you know, the derivatives of his love, his mercy and his kindness and everything else about him. And uh, we're going to spend all eternity swimming and diving and enjoying that ocean. Anyway, there will just be every tear will be wiped away, mm-hmm. as Revelation 21 says, perfect joy and beauty. Um, and, you know, who knows in the beauty what the earth will be like free for the first time in our entire experience from the effects of the fall. Um, you know, who knows what the mountains and the oceans and the galaxy will look like and, and even what enhanced human interactions with the animal and plant kingdoms might be possible. Yeah. You know, we're, we're living in a very, very spoiled creation now, even when we see it at its best. Mm-hmm. The new creation will be on a whole new level. Um, the, a third P would be physical bodies. Bodies are going to be raised, um, glorified, perfected, mm-hmm. such that, you know, even the the most physically impressive athletes or most physically beautiful women and men now will, will, I think by comparison would look weedy and ugly and pathetic compared to how we're all going to be then. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, all of this is outside of our frame of reference and the new Testament gives us, and the Bible, including as our old Testament uh, gives us tantalizing little glimpses into what it will be like, but language really creaks under the weight of these realities. Um, another P would be personal relationships. All of the um, 
shyness and all of the uh, ostracism and the arguments and fights and resentment and misunderstandings and tactlessness will, will not be present and will know relationships and friendships more intimate and fulfilling than even the best of this world. Um, even the best of marriages in this world is a vague shadow and echo and, and pointer to the reality which is coming um, between Christ and his church and, and then between us as members of his church. Um, there'll be privileged responsibilities. You know, Jesus talks about this a little bit in places like Luke 19, Matthew 25, these parables where those who are faithful are rewarded um, with roles of leadership. And who knows what they will look like? All we do know is that they will be amazing because there'll be rewards, they'll be good, mm -hmm. uh, they'll be fulfilling. Um, there'll be practical service. I think we will work. Work existed in the garden before the fall. Um, work will be redeemed. I, I take that from um, places in Isaiah. And, and then the final thing is that there'll be perpetual time. It'll go on forever and ever and ever. And uh, Edward Donnelly wrote in, in a book about heaven and hell, which I quoted in my chapter, um, at moments of utter happiness, a voice inside us whispers, I want this to go on forever. In heaven, it will. So um, we just have this amazing future. Yeah. And when you look at the logic of Christ himself and the Apostle Paul and so many others in the Bible for how to endure suffering in the present, it is to look to joy in the future. Um, so I think it's it's a really important practical skill to get down to have a good personal theology of what awaits us in terms of how good it's going to be that keeps us going in the present. Yes, very much so. Um, you know, I've been dwelling a lot lately myself on this in from another angle, mm. and and thinking about just how how much more amazing it will be having gone through this life and having that foil kind of that, um, you know, like the, the black background that the jeweler puts your diamond on, you know, just see it sparkle that this life is that black background. And that, um, you know, I think that even, even in the best of times, the best this world has to offer is just still so mired in the curse and so weighted down by the curse. And that, having experienced that, how much more we can spend eternity glorifying God, that that is never going to happen again. It'll never be that way again. I think that's right. And, you know, there won't be any shadows of regret or sadness in the new creation because that would spoil the perfection of it. And yet, yeah, there... Uh, beauty is more beautiful when you mm -hmm. compare it to ugliness. Um, light is light compared to darkness. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure there's something in that. It, it helps me through the tougher times sometimes, this thinking that this, you know, if I go through a tough moment, knowing that this moment will make eternity mm. that much more glorious and give me that much more reason to glorify yeah. the God who sent his son to die for me. Yeah. That I might participate in that. Yeah. And... There are, there are promises from Christ as well in the Gospels about how, you know, there will be recompense. Um, so some of our suffering in this world is 
just because of the fallenness of this world. You know, right now I have a cold, which is no fun. Um, some of our suffering in this world is directly out of faithfulness to him. And especially that, that yeah. or, you know, persecution. And especially that suffering, um, the Bible really encourages us, will, is seen and will be rewarded. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, I guess what else? I mean, what? Uh, there's so much. It's so rich. There's so much wonderful stuff to talk about. I, I, I don't have a particular one to go to. Um, I could go to any. We talked earlier yeah. a little bit about death, and and that one to me is precious. Like that, that is another key skill to get down and for us all to be working on, um, to 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 die well. Um, I'm, I write as a preacher, not so much a scholar. And so I, um, some of these chapters have catchy headings or alliterative headings, um, almost as memory aids so that people can then take yeah. some of the truths that they read into their, you also have, their practical uh, you know, days. You have a pastoral, and, uh, usually a little story at the beginning of each one to help set up the concept that you're going to talk about. Yeah, I'd, I'd try and be accessible and, mm -hmm. and engaging in that way. And, and if not, I'd, I don't want to be cheesy. And so if not, you know, trite alliterative headings, at least distinct points. Um, I'm just looking right now at some of the, the headlines under the, uh, in the chapter on death. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about death. Um, as you grow older, you see more and more of it. And I've seen a fair bit where the violent deaths on the battlefield or, or, or tragic deaths and the tranquility, the, the cold, bitter tranquility of a hospital, you know, whether young babies, old men. And so, it, you know, it does cast its shadow over our lives. And, and God's word is, is very honest and very practically helpful and not in denial about it. Not asked, we're not mm -hmm. asked to whistle in the dark. Um, God's word is realistic. And just a small sample of some of the things that, that do come from Scripture on this subject are that first death is unnatural. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, it didn't exist when God made this creation and it won't exist in the new creation. It's not yeah. in our factory settings as it were. That's why it feels so wrong. Yeah. That's why it's so jarring. It's almost like a, a virus that found its way in later and, and it sprang up, the Bible says, because we rejected God and chose sin. And that's what Paul says in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And it'll well, soon death. be free of death. But until then, we do have this jarring, temporary, dysfunctional phenomenon. Death is uh, presented um, as an enemy that is but, ultimately conquered too. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, the first thing, is, it, it is unnatural. And then obviously this is blindingly obvious but you'd be amazed at how good we are at emotionally being in denial over this it is inevitable you know as surely as the sun is going to set on all of us tonight we will one day die and um you know the the, the, the psalms um for example psalm 90 especially are very poignant about just just really dwelling on that unapologetically and um accepting that um, but then third, we can say scripture is realistic and honest that death is painful. Um, 
and it's painful for a number of reasons. Um, there's the pain of the physical process. There's the separation from loved ones, uh, temporary separation if they're believers, and we won't miss them in the future because they'll no longer be loved ones um, in the new creation. Uh, there's the end of earthly joys and hopes and plans, ambitions. And then, of course, there's the shrouded mystery of what dying actually feels like. We we can understand everything we need to about death and what lies beyond it. But kind of like trying to describe a taste to someone, you can only really yeah. know what they mean if you yeah. taste it. Well, there's going the greatest, most faithful theologian in the world won't know what death feels like until you know they they go through it so there is a a mystery to it and and that adds to the fact that it is it's unpleasant yeah. you know it's been defanged um we've been saved from the curse but we still have to go through the curse so that not at the level of eternal death but certainly at a, at a level of physical death um but then fourth like you said death is impotent um and Paul rejoices in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Uh, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, like I, I said earlier, it's no longer this terrifying trapdoor to judgment. It's this um, beautiful, welcoming gateway to glory. It's a promotion, mm -hmm. so a welcome home. And, you know, the... The good shepherd himself comes to accompany us through the valley, uh, comes to walk us through it and safely out the other side. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Uh, he'll meet us in it and lead us through it. And so, you know, these things mean that we're, we're, we're right to mourn death, the death of those we love. We're right to be sober about our own. Don't have to be... Um, unrealistic or in denial or fake about we can we can be honest and yet we're also right to rejoice um in the midst of death and re rejoicing is a a discipline it's it can be cultivated paul in philippines gives a command rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice um and so i finished that entry by writing Ask God's help in cultivating the ability to say, even through the tears, I rejoice that my baby, child, parent, friend, though I miss them to the point of heartbreak, now has more rest and peace and joy than I can imagine. And cultivate that perspective on your own impending promotion to glory. So, you know, there's a, a little bite-sized packet of truth, which I hope will nourish people and comfort them and encourage them mm, on the subject yeah. of death. And like every chapter, you, uh, in, in keeping with the devotional aspect to it, you finish off with a prayer and a meditation. Yeah, yeah that's right. So Sorry, I, was, uh, I spent much of that. I have the PDF version, so I'm scrolling through on my iPad trying to... I, I like to be gospel-centric a lot. Mm. And, and, of course, the book as a whole is gospel-centric. But... Um, in, it's drawing me to the atonement. Why don't we talk about the atonement a little bit? That that would be great. That's at the heart of the book, mm -hmm. uh, literally, in the contents page, and I believe it's at the heart of our faith. And you know, Revelation reveals how the cross was planned even before the world had been created, 
um, before the fall had happened, and how although the new creation will be perfect, Jesus will nonetheless retain the scars in his hands um, in eternity future as his glory, as a evidence and reminder to us, uh, a beautiful badge of honor, a reminder to us of his love. And so, yeah, you, you can't get away from the cross, or at least you shouldn't be able to. And if you do start getting away from the cross, you're, you're probably going wrong. And you shouldn't want to. And you shouldn't want to. And so the, the first entry of the central act, Life from the Cross, is an overview, really, on the atonement in general. And it zooms in on penal substitutionary atonement. Penal simply means that Jesus took our punishment. Uh, substitutionary means he took it for us in our place. He was our substitution. And atonement means that he did it to bring us to God, to atone for our sin. Mm -hmm. You can think of atonement as at-one-ment. He he made us at one with the Father. Um, And I just, I show from Scripture, uh, you know, that, that, glorious truth of PSA, penal substitutionary atonement, talk a little about the uh, the history of the cross. Um, and yeah, just, just revel in what it achieved and, and how it achieved it. And then the subsequent chapters zoom in uh, even more and are specific on if the atonement is the heart of the Christian faith. You know, the human heart has four chambers, ventricles and other things. Well, if there are four core truths within the atonement um i think i got this from someone like john stott and and i i would agree from the bible i would say those four would be propitiation which is god satisfying his own wrath against us that's day 12 the next day uh, justification god giving us christ's righteousness justification and righteousness are the same word in greek uh, god righteousifying us is what justification really means, justifying us. Um, then the, the third one, day 14, is redemption, God setting us free. And then fifth, uh, fourth and finally, day 15, adoption, the God who brings mm-hmm. us home. And it's in that order because it's having satisfied his wrath, justified us and redeemed us, that he's then able to scoop us out of the orphanage and bring us into his family and adopt us. Mm. But again, that's the kind of that logical ordo salutis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a god of order, mm-hmm. and and very very graceful um, order that makes perfect sense. So that's that's pleasing. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you have whole chapters on those things. You want to talk a little bit more about propitiation, justification, redemption? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, I say whole chapters, but I mean, your longest chapter is like five pages long. Yeah. Most of the chapters, I think, are just two or three pages. Right. Um, Like I say, propitiation is is God satisfying his wrath against us. And uh, we might be tempted to think that God is too heavy on sin. If so, I think we've got to remember that we have a very skewed perspective on this. We're not objective. This is like asking the barber if you need a haircut. Um, (laughs) We have a, a vested interest in seeing sin as less serious than it is. Um, also, sin means our perception of sin is distorted. Um, and, and also we underestimate God's holiness and the seriousness of sin. Um, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones... Well, if you don't mind my interrupting yeah, your thought here, um, I mean, let's go back to, we just talked about death. 
Mm. And, and that, it really is a, one of the main purposes of death is to show us just how serious those sins are. Even those yeah. little ones that we don't take too seriously, that yeah. they're so serious and not only require death, they, they, they require that the only way out is that the Son of God would have to die in yeah. our place. Yeah. That right there tells you how serious sin is. You're right. Um, I was, I was going to say Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this. You will never make yourself feel you are a great sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. So it's when we allow Scripture to give us an honest assessment of the seriousness of our sin that everything suddenly falls into place and makes sense. Um, and, and it may, you know, a helpful picture of propitiation would be like a lightning rod. Um, the lightning of God's anger at sin, once it's released, it's got to land somewhere. Um, well, the cross is the divine conductor, you know, lovingly supplied by the Father, willingly enacted by the Son. So this isn't cosmic child abuse. The Son was a willing volunteer to do this. Mm-hmm. And he gladly absorbs the holy strike for the sake of his people's safety. And this means that um, God the Father is not a corrupt judge. He's, uh, he, you know, justice is still done. Um, he doesn't sweep sin under the cosmic carpet. It does matter. Mm-hmm. And yet he's able to square the circle by simultaneously having us to be saved from that judgment that needs to fall because Jesus took our place. Or or another picture might be a sandbag. Um, Imagine a a soldier crouching behind it as a bullet flies towards him. At the last millisecond, that that bullet, its energy is quenched. Uh, The sandbag is pierced, but the bullet is spent, and the soldier is saved. Well, you know, Christ took the missile of God's wrath for us. Um, And so that he would be spent... And we would not be. Or one other image from the Old Testament itself would be the cup um, that Jesus himself invokes in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, He exhausted the cup of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. And propitiation hasn't been a popular concept in church history. I think it's for a few reasons, mainly because people, well, like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we're, we're on good terms with ourselves. We don't want to be honest about the horror of the full extent of our sin and its seriousness. Also, we don't like the idea of an angry, vengeful God. Um, And so, you know, propitiation is therefore quite distasteful. Um, But it is scriptural. And actually, there are some glorious applications from it. You know, when you humble yourself under the word and and acknowledge propitiation is a, a true and valid truth that was happening on the cross. Um, and if you want, I could just hit a handful yeah, of those yeah, applications. Yep. Well, one thing is it helps us to be sober about the seriousness of our sin. Um, as you said earlier, Andy, nothing less than the death of God's own son was required to, to deal with his righteous, justified anger at our sin. Um, so, so be sober. And another application is is to praise God for the evidence of his holy fury that harm to his creatures matters to him. 
when we sin against each other, that is a really, really big deal. So big that Jesus had to die for it. So big that God is explodes with fury over it. Like, and that's not him overreacting. That's how precious we are and how much it matters when we hurt each other. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is praise God at the, for the evidence of his holy fury that defamation of his character matters. God, like defaming God's name in how we live and speak and think and act isn't a small thing. On the downside for us, it causes his wrath to explode, and, and rightly so. On the upside, that at least shows us that, okay, we have a God whose glory matters, is substantive, it's valuable, it's worth getting angry over when it's um, besmirched and besmeared. Um, another application is to be humble and joyful that the Father and the Son would willingly provide and love such costly propitiation. You know, that's how much they love us. Um, and another, just one last application would be um, letting our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ follow the example of our Father's love for us, practical, radical, and self-giving. And John, at the end of his life, in 1 John 4, wrote, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Like, Are we loving each other in, in that same costly way that same radical way, that same very, very practical way that God loved us in putting forward his son as propitiation. So, you know, there's just a tiny snapshot of one truth out of many, many critical truths. But look how rich it is. The applications bleed out into everyday life in so many ways. Yeah, and and, and, uh, if you think about it also in terms of you, you talked at the beginning about the new creation, and what we can look forward to. And when you ask these questions like, can we love each other the way God wants us to love each other? Um, you know, we can, right now we can say, no, I can't. Like, I'm not even capable of it. But if we look forward to that new creation, that gives us a glimpse of what to expect then. That, well, at that point, I will be able to, to do that. Yeah. Bringing that much more glory to what to look forward to. Yeah, I know. That'll be amazing, won't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm happy to just keep walking through. You did justification and then redemption. Sure, I'm loving this. Just a, it's a privilege to rehearse these truths. Yeah. Um, well, like I said earlier, justification—that's the God who declares righteous. That's us being declared perfect in heaven's law court. Um, that this, that the, the propitiation is an image from the temple. Yeah, blood being spilt. God's justice, being, uh, anger being satisfied. Justification is an image from the um, law court. And uh, it, again, just so many very practical applications. Um, one big one would be godliness. Uh, being convinced of our status of righteousness, because it's a status, it's been imputed to us, mm-hmm. um, is a very powerful impetus for living out that identity. Um, and that's why, for example, Paul can speak of putting off the old self, being renewed in our minds. In other words, understanding, oh, I've been made righteous. That is who I am. I want to be who I am. I want to live, live as myself. And, and therefore, having been renewed in my minds and understanding my identity in Christ as someone who's righteous, therefore, Paul goes on in Ephesians, putting on the new self. Um, so it's a very powerful 
motivation for being able to be godly. Another one would be peace. You know, justification grants us peace with God in, in contrast to the former state of war that we were at with him because of our guilt. Um, and Paul in Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that objective peace compared to war then leads to uh, subjective peace as we experience this, this relief and this, this reconciliation, no longer relational tension between us and this terrifying judge, but, but now this warm, uh, joyful intimacy between us and our accepting father. Um, another application would be humility. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, same word for uh, justification in the Greek, dikaiosone, um, and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The point being here that justification is available only in Christ. Can't justify ourselves. Um, it's received only by faith in him, not through our own works. Mm -hmm. And that means that any boasting or self-congratulation for my salvation is farcically inappropriate. Um, you know, God's justification, when, when properly understood, will drive us to joyful, humble worship as opposed to grotesque backslapping, um, slapping ourselves on the back. So godliness, peace, humility. Um, and bro, I, I can just go on until you stop me. But equality. Oh, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> um, equality would be another. You know, justification is a binary thing. You're like mm -hmm. you have it or you don't. Um, and uh, what that means, it's a leveler. Um, the most inexperienced or spiritually frail or sin riddled Christian, as long as they are still repenting and showing themselves to be a true Christian, um, is no less justified by any other. And one of my favorite verses um, is when Peter writes at the beginning of one of his letters to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness, that is by the justification of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the, you know, Jesus' right-hand man, head of the early church, saying, You're, I'm on equal standing with you. Um, there are no second-class citizens because we, the ground at the foot of the cross is level and, and that is what justification is. You have it or you don't, and if you do, you're in, and you can't be any more fully in than being in. Um, and, that, you know, that has great implications for things like racism as well. Um, another one would be defense against spiritual attack. Uh, in Colossians 2, at the end, uh, Paul writes, God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So this is all justification language. Mm -hmm. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And by the, those he's referring to demonic powers in context, um, as he often is in Ephesians as well with that same language. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ, in Christ's justification of us. So um, the, the potency of demons, the rulers and authorities, 
against people comes from feeding off their sin. And even Christians who've been justified can allow demonic influence into their lives uh, by dabbling unrepentantly in, in certain kinds of sin, like, you know, the occult, or allowing themselves to get addicted to certain things, or psychedelic drugs, or there's a number of ways even Christians can crack open the door, or anger. You know, Paul in Ephesians talks about anger, uh, giving the devil a foothold. Um, so demons operate by feeding off human sin, and by cancelling and setting aside our sin, as happens in justification, uh, God disarms those demons and removes the ground for them preying on us. Um, and so, you know, when we cling tight to justification, as, as Martin Luther did, and Martin Luther, I think, was heavily beset by demonic attacks, mm -hmm. um, that is the way to ward them off. Like, you have no authority over me, you have no right to be discouraging me or um, intensifying my temptation um, or trying to frighten me because I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. I'm justified. Um, uh, I, can, I can do just one more. Well, well, this is, uh, I was Go going on. to throw in that, I mean, this is really uh, when you get into Ephesians and the, the armor of God in Ephesians mm. 5 and 6. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really what, I mean, that's, that's a passage that's so easily misconstrued but but that's really what this is getting at is uh exactly what you're talking about this dispense against spiritual attack and and, and being armed properly in the word yeah i think i think that's right you know as a pastor i've, I've had some experiences some pretty hair-raising experiences with demons and um i don't want to get into that now but i don't think like the errors in this area the equal and opposite mistakes are to be too unhealthily obsessed with them mm -hmm. versus being in denial over them and, and not engaging at all with that topic. And God operates in different ways. Uh, Satan operates in different ways around the world. And I've been to places in the Middle East when I was in the military in Africa um, and, and China where he operates by intimidation and by being blatantly, viscerally, demonstrably, you know, almost visible and, and certainly the effects are directly visible and terrifying, disgusting. Well, he operates very differently in places like, um, I was going to say London. London's changing. Um, I was in South London, one of the witchcraft capitals of the world, and I had some encounters there. But certainly here in the Bible Belt in Tennessee, by wanting to lull people to sleep and have them complacent. And it's a line from a film, isn't it? You know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. Yeah. So um, all this to say, I don't think we should be naive and in denial and disengaged from the reality of, of Satan and demons. I also don't think, and I, and I encountered this, ironically, this as well quite a lot here in the Bible Belt. Some people are a little too morbidly interested in it and kind of go looking for it instead yeah. of just getting on with patiently living the unglamorous Christian life. Yep. Um, and uh, we also shouldn't be that. But either way, one of the strongest, most effective defenses is just the good old doctrine of justification, according Amen. to Paul well in Colossians 2 anyway. Yeah, well said. Sorry, I interrupted um, you. We we're going to move on to mission. I was going to just give another application of mission. Yeah. Um, you know, think about Paul in Romans. The purpose behind writing Romans 
uh, the, the practical purpose was to motivate them to support his missionary work as he was on his way to Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the heart of the letter of Romans is a magnificent uh, laying out of the doctrine of justification by faith. And, and you might think, well, what's that doing there? How are the two linked, justification and mission? Um, well, in Romans 4, Paul writes, that is why justification depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Now, here's the point. If justification was available only to those who had faith and kept the law, well, most of the world is discounted. Like missionaries are wasting their time. There probably wouldn't even be missions. Mm-hmm. Um, justification in fact here's the glorious truth depends on faith so this throws open the doors of salvation to all and any who call on the name of jesus and this means that as well as being the great uh spiritual leveler as we saw earlier justification is this kind of in out binary if you're in you're as in as you can possibly be um justification by faith is also not the great not just the great spiritual leveler the great missiological leveler um as as no, no, any of us gone missiological what's what's uh just as justification is the the great uh spiritual leveler we have this equality we're on level ground because we've been justified so it's the great missiological leveler in other words the, the great leveler in the area of mission okay. it means that anyone no matter what they've done no matter how far from god they are no matter what mistakes they've made um all that's needed is faith. Justification is by faith. Justification is not by law. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just it, it gives us as evangelists, and it gives missionaries, and in a sense, you know, we're all missionaries, uh, hope and joy. As we, as faith is always required. Anyone can have faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other chapters on things like elections. So there's more to the picture than that. Yeah. But at that level, we can know that all anyone needs to enter the kingdom is simple faith. Well said. And, and you know, that comes from this doctrine of justification because it's only by faith. Cool. Well, I mean, I could keep you all night. I mean, but uh, given your family and uh, the, the, the colds and whatnot, and uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to keep you much longer. But uh, I could talk about all of this. I, w- I would have enjoyed, I, I couldn't fit the, op- the the podcast into an hour, but I would have enjoyed going through every chapter here. Because <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's always a joy to, to speak about the scriptures and the Lord and, and to go over these doctrines. Um, hey, well, well, me too, brother. This has been a pleasure for me. Thank you. Um, but before we, um, we do close out, um, I want to ask maybe a couple questions. One would be anything we didn't cover that you want to touch on before we go. And then of course, like we're talking about a book, where can people find the book? Mm. Um, there's an answer to your first question. No, there's, there's nothing. I mean, all of it. I, I said to you before the interview began, I'm passionate about these truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm excited when they, they get out there just to strengthen and comfort and serve God's people. And that's the aim of this book. Um, God didn't give us these truths, as I said earlier, just for intellectual game playing. 
he, he gave us to them because he loves us. I take it that means that, you know, we need them. And I've found and my people have found that when you dive deep into them, they do open up these amazing reservoirs of hope and joy and comfort and strength and encouragement and so on. In terms of where to get the book, um, just anywhere online. It's yeah. sold in a lot of places. Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the publisher is Christian Focus Publishing, so they have a website if you Google that, but the easiest place is probably Amazon. Okay. Well, um, I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy that you reached out to me. Um, to, you, I, I got an email from you about six weeks ago or so, and uh, I'm thankful that you did, and, and thankfully for you taking the time to come and talk about the book. And for, for the book, I definitely recommend. Um, now, you, you, my screen went black, so hope you're still there. You there? I think we've lost Will, but we were wrapping it up. And so uh, I just want to encourage people to get, please, uh, you know, get the book. I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of little, um, little bits, um, just a few minutes of reading it at a time and meant to be spread out over 30 days. And uh, I really enjoyed the book myself and uh, definitely enjoyed the discussion. And uh, so I wish I could say goodbye to Will right now because my screen went black, as you can see behind me there. And it uh, doesn't appear that he hears me, but um, um, check out the book. And the show notes will be at echozoe.com slash 178, where you can get the link to the Amazon and uh, the notes. And I was trying to write down scripture references. A lot of them were in his um, footnotes and whatnot, too. So every verse that he mentioned is in a footnote um, for the, the, the part of the chapter. So um, there you go. You see that uh, I completely lost it with, but uh, I will reach out to Will and say, uh, uh, thanks for, for coming on, but um, that would be it. So Echo Zoe radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 178. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 178. Please also check out the library full of the great shows available at the Christian Podcast Community. That's christianpodcastcommunity.org. And Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the March episode of Echo Zoe Radio.